It is well with my soul. That song was written by a man who had lost a lot. In fact, he had sent his wife on a, a trip and their daughter, and they went before him on to Europe. For some reason, he couldn't make the trip at that time, and he was coming later. And there was a terrible storm at sea, and the ship was lost and went down. And uh, so as he went, he got the news, was just de devastated, and was on his way and, and told the captain of the ship, he said, when we reach that part of the ocean where that ship went down, I, I wish you'd let me know. And he went to the rail of the ship when the captain informed him we're near the spot where that ship went down and those souls perished. And it was at that moment that he wrote, it is well with my soul. You mean in some of life's darkest moments, you can profess, it is well with my soul? You mean when you're at the funeral home and you've just said goodbye to the dearest on earth, and you can say, it is well with my soul? When you walked out of a doctor's office and he's told you that you haven't got but maybe three months, can you say, it is well with my soul? I'm going to preach about a relationship with the Lord Jesus that will cause you to do exactly that. Because He never leaves you. He never abandons you. Never walks out. Always. How long is always? How much is always? Always. He always causes me to triumph. He always, always hear me when I pray. He always, always comes to my rescue and helps me. Always supplies my need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I love Jesus, don't you? I said I love Jesus. And I've come today to tell you about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sing. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is His name. Savior, Savior, Savior. Savior, 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 Jesus is His name. Master, 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 Jesus is His name. That causes you to say it's well with my soul. When Jesus is master and when Jesus is Lord of your life, it prompts you to say that he is the Lord and he's the God of my life and he's the Lord of my soul. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses, in fact, quite a few verses there because it tells a story. Jesus was a very energetic person. I mean, he just constantly went. Now, there were some times when he came apart to pray, and some of you wait till you come apart to pray. 
but he came apart <laughs> and prayed. And the Bible said there were times when he led the disciples uh, to go and rest, that they'd been ministering so much that he sent the multitude away, the Bible said. There are times when he rested, but for the most part, the Bible said he went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Did you hear that? That is an awesome statement. That ought to cause you to rejoice. Healing all. How many is all? Healing all that were sick. I wish Jesus would come to church here today and heal all that are sick. I wish Jesus would come to church today and he would save everybody that needed saving. I wish Jesus would come to church today and give people encouragement and strength and faith to live for him. That happens when Jesus comes to church. When Jesus is in our midst, Brother Ford said, didn't come to please Brother Jerry or Brother Don, came to please Jesus. Came to please Jesus. Now, if that was your motivation for coming, I want to tell you, you will not go away disappointed. Because every time you encounter the Lord Jesus, it's always a blessing for you. Always a blessing for you. And he entered into Capernaum. Capernaum was a city on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I have actually stood in the place where this took place, in the synagogue or the church that was there in Capernaum. Capernaum was the home of Peter. It was the, the home of uh, fishermen, people that loved to work with their hands, and they were actually artisans, but they were also fishermen. And Capernaum was the central place. It was headquarters for Jesus when he was in Galilee. It was near this church where I've stood. And the Bible says that Peter's house was very close by. It was just ruins at the time I was there. But since then, the Catholic Church has built a shrine or a memorial over Peter's house because that's where his mother-in-law was sick unto death and Jesus went by and prayed for her and she was restored back to her health. Amen. Restored. Somebody say restored. She was restored back to her health and she started fixing a meal for Jesus and the other disciples. Wow. It was in Capernaum and that, that old temple is still there. Oh, it's just walls and some stones and that kind of thing. But you can stand in that same spot where this takes place right here. Jesus entered into Capernaum, and after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. Boy, that should be great news in Anniston, Alabama, that Jesus is in the house. Now, there is a house in the neighborhood where Jesus comes. There's a place that you can go and can encounter the Lord Jesus. That there is a place, if it could be noised abroad, that Jesus is in the house. We make every effort to do that, to let people to know that there's a healer in the house, there's a savior in the house, there's a way maker in the house, there's a miracle worker in the house. 
Again, he entered into Capernaum, and after some days it was noised abroad that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together. You mean crowds come when Jesus is in the house? Somebody said, Pastor, how in the world can we make this church grow? I'll tell you how. By lifting up and magnifying Jesus, by preaching Jesus so real, and by preaching his love and his grace so available, by telling a lost people in a lost world that Jesus is right for whatever's wrong in their life, that Jesus is a problem solver, that he will touch you in such a way that you will have new life. You'll be resurrected to be a new person in Christ Jesus if you can meet this man of Galilee, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Wow. Straightway he went into a house and there were gathered together a multitude, many were gathered insomuch, and that's going to describe the crowd. The crowd was so great that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. It was packed out the door, the Bible said. And he preached the word of God unto them. Now, what that word did he have to preach? Certainly not the New Testament. He had to have the Old Testament the writings of the prophets and the writings of the history books of the kings, the divisions, the poet books, the lament psalms and the praise psalms, the proverbs, the wisdom that was in the proverb. So when Jesus got up to preach in Capernaum, he preached about the things of God and preached about the promises of God. Talked about worship and about praise of God. Told stories about Samson and Deborah and about the judges. Told about uh, great uh, people like Elijah and Elisha. That's what he was preaching. And as he was preaching, the Spirit of the Lord moved in that congregation and they were touched. I still believe that God moves in our midst when his word is preached. I still believe that if you lift up Jesus and glorify and magnify Jesus, then I believe he does great things in our midst when we lift him up. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, I call this finding a way, don't you? Finding a way to get to Jesus. You got to want to be with Jesus mighty bad if you'll get up on the housetop and tear up the roof. Your desire is great if you want to be in the presence of Jesus and you're willing to go to such lengths to do it. They broke it up and they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. We, we've got a man here that's palsied. He's paralyzed. He can't move. He's incapacitated. He's not able to walk. He's not able to move about in the faculties of his body. And you have talked to him about thy sins be forgiven thee. You see, what Jesus is saying is there's a sickness that's greater than physical sickness. 
There's a dilemma that's greater than being paralyzed. There is a plight that is greater to be addressed than the sickness of the person before us. And he says to this man who was sick of the palsy and could not raise himself up and could not walk, I, I don't know if he ever said anything. So he must have been dumb and wasn't able to speak until Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Wow. Now, some things Jesus says makes people happy. Boy, sometimes when he says, Lazarus, arise and come forth, boy, it makes people happy when he walks out of the tomb. Sometimes when Jesus stops a funeral procession and says to the person in the casket, get up from there, and they get up and begin to run about. A lot of times when Jesus says something, it makes people happy. They love it when Jesus says, I will be thou clean to the leper. They love it when he reaches down at the pool of Bethesda and takes the man by the hand and says, arise, take up your bed and walk. And he arises and takes up his bed and walks. They love it when Jesus on the road to Jericho spits in the dust and makes clay of the spittle and anoints the eyes of the blind and he says, wash in the pool of Siloam. And the Bible said, and he went and washed and he came seeing. Don't you love it when Jesus says good things? But things that make you happy make some people mad. Because we need to read the next verse because... Jesus says to this man, thy sins be forgiven thee. But, yeah, he got, got forgiven, got saved, but. Yes, the Lord forgave him of all his sins, but. Yes, he was a new creature in Christ Jesus, but. Don't you love butters? I started to say buts but I thought I might better say butters. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, and they were reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sin but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reason within themselves. Be careful how you act around Jesus. I said, be careful how you act around Jesus because he knows the real you. He sees past the, the facade. He's, he sees past the mask. He knows what's really in your heart. He knows what you're reasoning about. And the Bible said immediately, that didn't take long, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether it's easier for me to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of God had power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. 
immediately. Well, we're getting that word a lot of times in these scriptures, aren't we? And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. I'd like for Jesus to do something at harvest that you'd go away from here saying, I never saw anything like that. I'd like for Jesus to be so real, so worshiped, so present, so awesome, so sovereign, so powerful, so almighty that you'd walk away from here saying, I've never seen anything like that. That's the way it used to be in the early days of Pentecost. Did you know that? People used to come to see, but they came and stayed to seek. They came out of curiosity, but they stayed under a spell of conversion. You see, if anything the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit validates the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, somebody said to me about a scripture the other day, I said, would you got a problem with that? Talk to the author. I don't write these things. You need to go talk to the author. I just preach these things. I said, I just preach these things. I'm, I'm just a messenger. If you don't like the message, go talk to the one that wrote it. Woo! Go tell the Holy Ghost that you didn't like what he wrote in the Bible. Amen. The Holy Spirit vindicates. I want to tell you, everything that Jesus ever did made the devil mad. Every blessing, every healing, every miracle, every blessing ever done by the Lord Jesus met opposition from the devil. He hates everything God does. He criticizes and is jealous of everything that God does and everything that God works. In fact, at that little incident that I was telling you about, it wasn't a little incident, it was a big incident of the guy that had been at the pool 38 years. Wow. There used to be an elderly guy over at Crumley's Chapel named Brother Mathis. I don't know if you ever knew Brother Mathis or not, Brother Ford. Did you ever know Brother Mathis? He used to ride around with my daddy when daddy was preaching revivals. And uh, Brother Mathis was quite a comical person. He said to my dad, he said, uh, Brother Irwin said, before you preach tonight, I'd like to say something. And uh, dad hesitantly said, Okay. So when Dad got up to preach that night, he said, Brother Mathis is with us tonight. We're glad to have him. He wants to say a word before I preach. And Brother Mathis got up and said, I want to say this to everybody. All these people have been praying in this altar. Not to get discouraged, for I sought the Lord for 40 years. You ought to hear my dad tell that. You probably heard him tell that. He would say, my Lord, here I am trying to people, get people prayed through to the Holy Ghost, trying to get people saved and trying to get people healed. And Brother Mathis tells him it may take you 40 years. <laughs> hope it don't take 40 years. Marianne, I hope it don't take 40 years. Marianne said, well, you look like you need a haircut. I do. My, my haircutter's got COVID. And she said, well, I said, you can go on and 
commit adultery and get another person to cut your hair if you want to. And I said, no, no, no. Honey, I'll wait till you get better. The devil never likes it when God's doing something for people. Immediately when that guy at the pool of Bethesda gets up and starts, they laugh at me in Maine for saying this, toting his bed. Toting his bed. First person he met was his pastor. And his pastor looked at him and said, what are you doing toting that bed? Don't you know that's a sin? It's Sabbath, man. You don't do that on the Sabbath day. Don't you know the rules? Don't you know we've got rules against doing such as that? It's Sabbath. You, we've got these regulations. We've got this institutionalism. We've got all of this structure here. You don't go around doing stuff like that. Now, if you don't think they're very serious about that, you better think again. When I was in Israel, Don was over there one of the times that I went. And he got on an elevator, and he was in quite a hurry about something. But he noticed when he punched his floor that he wanted to go to, seventh or eighth floor, that every light on the thing came on. And it stopped at one. It stopped at two. It stopped at three, and then it stopped at four. It stopped at five, and again, it stopped at six. And Don got off, and he said, what is going on around here? Now, I wonder if the management of this place knows that that elevator needs fixing. I'm going to find out what in the world's going on with this elevator. And he asked about it. They said, oh, there's nothing wrong with the elevator. That's the Shabbat elevator that you got on. He said, what do you mean? Said the Shabbat elevator, don't go fast on Sunday. Because if it goes fast, it's working. And we don't work on Sunday. So that elevator goes slow. So Brother Don was careful which elevator he got on. He'd, he'd say, oh, is that that elevator that's that Shabbat one I don't want on that one? I've had them shake their finger at me. I'd be walking real fast. Roger probably did. And we'd be walking real fast and one of the rabbis would say, hey, hey, slow down. Boy, you think they don't have rules? Hey, breakfast in Israel is one of the great events of the day. Randy, you've never seen in your life a breakfast like those folks put out. The richest butter, the richest cream, most delicious eggs. I mean, it is a feast. Stephen, it is out of this world. But you get up on Saturday morning, and there's Kellogg's cornflakes down there. <laughs> there's a little bit of crackers and cheese down there. They don't fix it on Saturday. If you walk around the, the city, you'll see these line, these ropes tied to ropes, and it goes all the way around the city. And you ask, what are these lines up here? What is all of that? They said, that's the uh, line of demarcation. Said, you can walk as far as that line, and it's not work. But if you walk past that line, it becomes work, 
and they'll chastise you and say, get it back inside the line. You say, Pastor, you've got to be kidding. No, no, no. There are a lot of folks that are more legalistic than you can imagine. And most of them have the attitude, if I have to be, I had a woman tell me one time, she said, if I have to look this poor and, and so ugly and wear what all I wear, said everybody else ought to have to do it too. Mad because everybody else didn't see it like she did. And in her view, everybody else was going to hell. Because you weren't holy. What's well, quiet in this house? But listen, you can't legislate holiness. You can't legislate the grace of God. You can't legislate the faith to believe God. You can't legislate that kind of stuff. Amen. Can't legislate it. You can't make laws and say, do this, do that, and do the other. That's, that's cults do that kind of thing. Whom the Son hath made free, he's free indeed. That don't mean you're free to sin, but it means that you're free from that weight that hangs above your head. Amen. And it becomes more about what he did than what you do. Now, your life ought to honor the Lord, and you ought to live a life that is a good life and a life that is submitted to the will of God and submitted to the teachings of Scripture, yes. But never get to the place that you use your formula and your rule and your regulation to determine someone else's. Is this making any sense? Is this making any sense? The problem with Phariseeism is that Pharisees, boy, when it started out, it was good, like most things are. Pharisees were people that, that wrote and uh, helped to, they wouldn't have printing press back then, and, and they and the Essenes down in the Dead Sea area, they wrote these scrolls and they worked real hard. Pharisees did a, a wonderful thing in the temple, did a, did a great work, but over time it got to a place and it degenerated to a place that they started legislating rules and laws and when they came in contact with this man carrying his bed they said don't you know that that man is a sinner that told you to carry that bed he said sir whether he be a sinner or not i don't know but the same one that told me to get up and walk told me to carry this bed and i'm just doing what he said I'm just doing what he said. When that old blind man on the road to Jericho in John 9, when Jesus spat in the clay and made clay and put it upon his eyes and he came seeing, brother, it made the Pharisees so mad. Next thing you know, they're saying, hey, who did this? Who did this? And they went to his mom and daddy. And they said, is that your son that was the blind person sitting over there at the side of the road? And they said, well, yeah. And they said, well, wasn't it, isn't it true that that sinner, that revolutionary, that man from Galilee, from Nazareth, that, that new rabbi came and touched his eyes and sent him over to Siloam and he washed 
And he came saying, was that you, your son? And they were afraid that he would throw them out of the synagogue. So they said, he is of age, go ask him. But if I had a blind boy and Jesus healed his blindness, if Jesus opened his eyes, I believe I'd have had enough boldness to say, whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, my son was blind and sitting by the road begging, but today he's working and he can see. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus is in the business of restoration. Jesus is in the business of healing. Jesus is in the business of saving people. That paralytic man can represent a lot of things. Boy, you can, you can just really put a lot of people on that cot. You can put the church on that cot and talk about the church needing restoration and needing healing. And most of you would agree with me that 2020 did things to the church that I don't know what the result is going to be. We had to adapt. Sometimes your greatest ability is your adaptability. Faye's writing that one down, I know. Sometimes your greatest ability is your adaptability. Being able to adapt, amen, and still retain your work with God and your walk with God. Sometimes you have to kind of massage things and you have to kind of make things work, amen. Sometimes you have to get the job done but do it in a different way than you've ever done it before. You know what the saddest words in the church of God are? We never did it that way before. Did you know people will fight you over change? But did you know that if you grow, you're going to change? That little boy sitting there eating beans and taters and cornbread, coming to church, sitting on the first seat, singing, The Lord liveth and blessed be the rock of my salvation. He's not always going to stay like that. In a few years, when you see him next, you'll say, wow, boy, you changed. Change and growth kind of go together, don't they? In order to grow, there's got to be change. And some folks just fight change so bad. Was it John Maxwell that told a pastor, a pastor came to him and he said, brother, said, we have got the piano on our platform in a certain place and said, we want to move it over to the other side of the stage. But we fear so many people would get angry and frustrated because we moved the piano from one side of the stage to the other side of the stage that we don't know how to do that. We'd like to do it, but we just don't know how to do it without upsetting everybody. You remember what John Maxwell told him? He said, I'll tell you what you do. Next Sunday, move it six inches. And said, the Sunday after that, move it six inches more. And said, slowly but surely, you'll get it to the other side of the stage. 
<laughs> I went to a church one time. I was bishop in the churches in Mobile. And I had a, a church there that had $250,000 in the bank. And they wanted me to come over and do a business meeting for them because they were hopelessly deadlocked. So about 7 o'clock, I wound up at that business meeting. And they started talking. And they talked and they talked. You know what the issue was? They had holes in their parking lot. And they could not decide whether to fix the holes, or to repair the whole parking lot. At 11 o'clock, I said to them, fellas, we've been here four hours talking about holes in the ground. I'm about to walk out of here and go home. And finally one said, hey, go over to the other side. I mean, they were divided evenly. And one went over to the other side, and we got a, a vote of the majority to patch the holes with $250,000 in the bank. So I announced, you know, that was the finding, and that was the majority. We'll abide by it. And the music minister, and you know who he is, and I won't call his name, he said, Brother Jerry, while you're here, said, our songbooks back here have got really, really ugly looking, and said, could we get a vote on buying some new hymns of the Spirit? I turned around and I said, uh, all right, do you want to consider this? Yeah, let's consider it. One guy got up, Mark, about where you're sitting, about where he was, and uh, he got up and he said, you know, Brother Erwin said, me and Mama was over to Kmart the other day, and said, they've got this colored tape over there said, I bought a roll of that stuff. And said, you know what? I took one of these songbooks home with me and said, I put a piece of tape down that back and said, it, why, it looked like it was meant to be there. I make a motion we just buy another roll of tape and fix it. Are you kidding me? And as I dismissed, <laughs> they said to me, they said, Brother Chair, would you come consider coming here to pastor someday? We'd probably like to have you for a pastor. I said, no, no, don't consider me. I said, you wouldn't want me. Lord, you'd run me off before the water got hot. No, 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 you don't want me. It's am amazing at ritualism and how we hate change. But Jesus was a revolutionary. Anything that is of value, it's worth fighting for. Listen, we just celebrated 4th of July here a few days ago. What happened is people at that Continental Congress got together and they signed a proclamation that's called the Declaration of Independence. But they found out that when you declare independence, then you got to go out in the field and fight. See, when you make a declaration, oftentimes you have started a battle. When you determine that I'm not going to live like this anymore, you've started a battle. When you determine that I'm going to 
recover some things the devil stole from me, then you've started a battle. When you determine that I'm going to get busy doing for God what God called me to do, then you've, you've started a battle. Anytime that you make any move to get better or do better or be more or climb higher or go deeper, then you could expect the devil to fight you on that. And not only will the devil fight you, people will fight you. So helping people pass their past. You know that was the greatest called for message that we had for years and years. I, I, I preached it back when we were over at Brighton Avenue. But it was still on the archive list and people ordering tapes of the service. The one message that was requested more than any other message that we preached was, how can I get past my past? How can I get past my past? You see, when you determine that you're going to get over it, when you determine that you're going to let it go, when you're going to, you determine you're going to forgive, when you determine that you're going to cut that loose, you see, there's some things that you need to respond to, and there are some other things you don't need to respond to. And wisdom is knowing the difference. There are some things that people say that you should not respond to. There's some folks that get on Facebook and they say some things just to get you to respond and get you all upset and get you all bent out of shape. Let that mess go. I said, let that mess go. Somebody told me the other day, said, Pastor, I messaged you on, on Facebook. And I said, well, honey, that's the best way to ensure I don't get it. They send me these things. You've got 275 notifications. And they go back for months. Don't contact me on Facebook. Don't take for granted. I'll get it if you do that. Hey, you've got my cell phone number. You know it got dodged. You can get me. You don't have to Facebook I don't care what you eat for supper last night. Don't take a picture of it and send it to me. Just eat your supper. Another title for this message ought to be When Healing You Is Killing Me. There are lessons that we learn from 2020 that'll stick with us for a long time. There are some ways that we discovered a long time ago, but I've discovered one thing. This world needs a church. Church is important. Church is necessary. A community of believers is God's plan. And this world needs a church that is in revival. This world needs a church that is on fire, not a dead, dry skeleton of what it used to be. It needs a church that is thriving and going for God. This world is in a crisis, and this world is in a pandemic. This world is in a turmoil, and it seems as if people are going further away from God than coming toward God, and it seems like all the forces that oppose the church are 
belching forth all of their innuendo and strife and criticism. Even a congressman said, it is of little concern to this Congress what the Bible says. I want to tell you something. This book is real straight about nations that forget God. This book is really stern about about nations that go their own way and turn their back and walk away from God. God takes those kind of things very, very seriously. Very, very seriously. This community needs a church. After over a year of limited services, little or no contact, don't touch one another, don't do this, We've been left with a church that is struggling for identity and purpose in a society that is divisive and wicked and on a path away from a gracious God. What I realize is this. I can do without the barber because the only result is long hair. I can do without the dentist because the only result is hurting teeth. I can do without the plumber and boil water on the stove but I cannot do without the church because it's the pillar and the ground of the truth. And without the truth, we will believe a lie and go to destruction. As long as God has a church and a preacher that will preach the truth, then God will be in the church. As long as God has got a preacher and God's got a people that will accept the preached word of God and will preach the acceptance of the Word of God, if that, if that goes on, then you can tell a church that God will stand by them. If you'll stand by God, God will stand by you. If you'll stand up for God, God will stand up for you. God wants you to know that you don't have to be crippled. You don't have to be uh, limited. God is saying to his church, you're the church of the living God, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that God is building. This shows us, this text shows us that two people can be in the same place and have two completely different thought processes and experiences. One is there to criticize the Lord Jesus. One group is there to find something wrong. The other group is there to hear the Word. Hear the Word. I want to be in that last group, don't you? Those Pharisees that dogged the heels of Jesus, that constantly sat in scrutiny of what he was doing, that every message he preached, every word that he said. But boy, he really threw them a bomb when he said, I am the Son of the living God. I am the Son of the living God that you may know. This miracle on this man is so you'll know that the Son of God hath power on earth to forgive sins. And he spoke to the sick of the palsy and said, Arise, take up your bed and walk. You see, one kind of people there praised, the other were critical and hard, faithful, believing people were receptive to the gospel, but the Pharisees were looking for a way to trick Jesus. You see, if we could ever see ourselves like Jesus sees us, 
I think in our own estimation, the way we see our, our, ourselves, you'd say, well, you know, I'm a pretty good parent. Well, how do you know? You can't see you. When I walked out the door this morning, I walked over that full-length mirror and I made sure my belt buckle was buckled and made, I got all my hairs pushed back, long as they were. I looked at my coat to make sure everything was right and looked at and thought, and I walked out, and I ain't seen me since. <laughs> It'll be interesting when I get home to go up by that same mirror and see what happened to me. Because I can't see me. You can see me, but I can't see me. You know, there are a lot of people that can't see themselves. They think they're the best. Well, he's not preaching to me. He's preached to somebody else. That can't be me. Can't be me. Well, how do you know? You can't see you. Everybody needs somebody that you trust, that you love, that you know would not hurt you, but would tell you the truth. Now, I'm talk, not talking about those fly-by-night friends. They're a dime a dozen. I'm talking about those people that stand by you when you've done something wrong. Those kind of people that walk in when everybody else walks out. Those kind of friends that love you, that care about you. Many times you can ask somebody like that, I can't see me, but you can see me. How do I look? on the outside, apart from me. And don't be defensive and don't get your little feelings hurt by what they say. Brother, I'm not doing that. You can take that part of your sermon and back to your study and fold that paper up and put it back in the file. I'll take care of me. You take care of you. When you're transparent enough that you can let someone look at you and can see what you can't see. Ask God to show you things that are broken inside yourself so you can address those things that are wrong with you instead of constantly looking for faults in others. I'd say this. Here, get your pen out, Faye. I'd say this, we are real good with microscopes. We are not very good with mirrors. Is that too tough? That means when we're looking at others, we got that microscope and we're getting it really focused in. We got to pull it up and down until it gets focused. But when we look at ourselves, Sometimes we don't really like what we see. They got some pictures out, Maurice, of when I first came here, 34, going on 35 years ago. I had black hair. Look what y'all have done to me. Had black hair, buddy, it was a lot of it. Look at that hair. Everybody sees that picture and says, my Lord, look at that hair. 
Well, it's not nearer like it used to be. Used to have that old Cherokee Indian. Boy, you get close to me now, you'll see some spots on my face and some wrinkles that didn't used to be there. So sometimes I don't care much about looking in the mirror. I don't stand and gawk at myself much. Because it's not an enjoyable experience. <laughs> Dad Spear, Mom Spear used to sing, Time has made a change in me. Learn to live. If you're successful, if you're in leadership, if you're doing something from God, trust me. There will be people that will be jealous of you. There are people that will be critical of you. There will be people that will say mean things about you. People that will misjudge you because they don't know the facts. They don't know the whole story. Learn to live with jealousy and criticism. It comes with a territory. Success makes things that way. But God will give you grace to endure the karma. You ever have to put up with some karma? My mother-in-law used to call that drama. Drama. Finchie would say, oh, I just can't stand all that drama. I said, Finchie, it's drama. Drama, drama, whatever it is, I can't put up with much of that. And she's usually as patient as Job. But Lord, sometimes she'd be talking to somebody and she'd set the phone down in her lap and just let it, let it go. And I'd say, Finchie, you're on the phone now. Have you forgot you was on the phone? I know. I know. They're talking to me about General Hospital and all that kind of stuff. Now, I don't care to listen to that. She'd pick it up and she, they'd still be on it. She'd make a face and go, All that drama. Hey, sometimes you just got to put up with the drama. Sometimes you just got to got to let people be themselves and put up with the karma and put up with the drama and put up with all of that stuff but don't let it affect you don't let it get you to be like those for don't get pulled down there to that you know come on olivia and help me quit they're tired you know in the prayer that jesus taught us to pray he didn't intend for us to recite that every day he was giving you a model. He was giving you an example and said, this is, this is the way that you ought to begin your prayers, the way you ought to end them. These are the things you need to mention in your prayer. Not necessarily go by it verbatim. Now, every one of us can do it, can't we? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us lead us not in the temptation liberal from evil thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever amen but did you notice with give us our daily bread the next word is, and forgive us. 
Brother Jerry, did you say that was a daily prayer? Yeah, they prayed three times a day, not just one. But that was the one Jesus said, you ought to pray this prayer daily. Give us our daily bread and forgive us. You mean we need to be forgiven every day? You mean I need to be about the business of forgiving every day? If that was Jesus' model prayer for me to pray, why did he say, give me food to eat, but also forgive me for my trespasses? And I am going to forgive people who trespass against me every day. Do you know there, there are actually people that I know in churches that haven't spoken in 25 years and come every Sunday, hear the same message, hear the same singing, and won't speak because of something that happened 25, 30 years ago. Boy, that's some drama in it. Talk about hanging on to something and holding on to something. My God, why in the world hadn't you let that go someday long ago? But to still nurse that thing and carry it around with you every day? Talk about carrying a grudge. 25 years is a long time to carry anything. God can restore the years that you've wasted wandering in the wilderness, constantly admitting defeat and proclaiming, I don't know what to do. Really? After all the preaching you heard, you don't know what to do? After sitting in Sunday school all of your life, you don't know what to do? After singing in choirs and singing in song, and you say, I don't know what to do. What do you do? Having done all to stand, what do I do? After I've done all that I can, what do I do? Did you say stand? After I've tried everything, stand. After I've prayed about it, stand. After I've Talk to counselors about it. Stand. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Just make up your mind, this thing is not going to destroy me. This thing is not going to ruin my life. This thing is not going to stay with me all my life. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to... What you going to do with it? Well, I really don't know. You don't know. I've told you so many times what to do. I wish I had a nickel for every time I've told you what to do. Many are the heartaches that will come to you. Keep your trust in Jesus. He will see you through. Never, 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 never will you find a friend so kind and true just take it to the lord in prayer i'll tell you what to do you pray and you stand and you cry and then you pray and you stand and you cry and then you pray and you stand and you cry and then you pray and you stand and you cry 
You just stand. And then you do something else with it. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you'll trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave, and leave, and leave it there. You mean we could do that, Pastor? I didn't know. Yes, you knew we could do it. You might have got a forgetful spirit about you. Casting all, casting all, casting all, casting how much is all? Well, that means you don't carry any bit of it anymore. If you cast it all upon him, then why are you taking some of it back home with you? If you cast all of your care on the Lord Jesus, why would you need to carry it anymore? Casting all of your care upon him because... He cares about you. Wow, how good is that? He cares about you. You know, I learned yesterday listening to a, another preacher. You listen to preacher all the time. And he said, forgiveness is not to be confused with fellowship. Forgiveness is one thing, fellowship is another. You can forgive somebody, but you might not be able to live with them. You can forgive somebody, but if they beat you and they hurt you, and you can't live with them, can't have fellowship with them. You can forgive them, but you may not can have fellowship with them. Does that make any sense? Forgiveness is one thing, fellowship is another. Oh, it's the will of God that we have fellowship. Walk in the light as He is in the light and have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's great. But you've got to forgive people who may not be converted. They may not know the Jesus that you know. They may not serve the Lord that you do. They may not respect the Bible like you do. And you can forgive them, but you might not can have fellowship with them. Is that too tough? Stand with me then. We better go home before I get on your toes about something. You'll kick me. Well, bottom line is, the conclusion of the whole matter is, love God, keep His commandments, love thy neighbor as thyself. Which is the greatest one, Jesus? That last one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor 
as yourself. But he may not love me back. That don't matter. That's not what that's about. For you, that's not what that's about. For you, it's about forgiving those who trespass against you. And so what do you know about that, Pastor? A lot of years. A lot of years. A lot of hurt. A lot of sorrow. A lot of sorrow. But through it all, through it all, through it all, the Bible said, in all things. Why are you going through it? In all things. In all things, we are made more than conquerors. Not after you get through going through it, but while you're in it. I said, while you're in it, in all things, we're more than conquerors. We got Brother Ed's transfer of membership this last week. Now, I'm not going to ask him to walk down that. They tell me that when you get going down that road right there, you can't turn around. So, Brother Ed, we're not going to make you come down here and his sweet wife. They're wonderful people. Now, I don't know if you've met Janice or not. They're great folks, but we love and appreciate them. We don't do the handshaking and hug, hugging necks while we're going through the COVID thing. But just turn right around there and wave at them real good. We're glad to have you. Amen. God bless you. We're thankful you're in the church. Amen. Give them a good hand of welcome. Amen. That's not the way we normally do things, but it's the way we have to do things for now. For now. For now. But one of these days, when y'all leave Egypt, y'all get my bones. When y'all get back to the promised land, y'all make sure you take my bones, will you? Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your house today. And thank you for letting your word speak to us that there is a way that we can find to get back to restoration. Oh, God, I pray for healing in this house, healing over these people, healing spiritually in their hearts and their minds. Purge us today, oh, God. Wash us, cleanse us, oh, Lord, and know our hearts and help us, God, to leave here this morning charged and challenged to be all that we can be for you. Dismiss us in your care and your love and grace. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 God go with you and God bless you is our prayer. Amen.